The CBD industry is complicated. Cannabis industry is complicated. What's even more complicated is the legal laws around these. My next guest will not only talk about the legalities of cannabis and CBD, but also the new and up and coming psilocybin and psychedelic medication now going through FDA approval. So you won't want to miss this one. Stay tuned. Let me first start out by saying thank you to Podcast Powertrain for helping produce my show. These are the guys you need behind you if you're looking to start your podcast. Also, I'd like to thank Powered by Riverside FM. That's right. Our show is powered by Riverside FM, one of the best platforms to actually have a podcast on. So I'm going to have some links at the end of the show or in the show notes. Check them out. These are the two people that you need to get up, get with to make your podcast top 100. The good don't grow. We help you understand the benefits. With CBD and cannabis, yeah. The good don't grow. We remove the fear of the unknown. By giving you all the facts. The good don't grow. We bring the unbiased content from opposing views to give you nothing but the facts. I welcome you to the show. The good don't grow. Welcome back to Good Dudes Grow. I'm your host, Gary Roberts. In today's show, we have Mr. Sean Hardwick, a regulatory analyst at Mr. Cannabis Law. He's also one of the guys that drafted the Florida HB 549 bill, which is the psychedelic bill, which is trying to get psychedelics legalized in the state of Florida. With almost two years in the regulated cannabis industry, he has drafted over 17 marijuana state license and applications, business plans and operating procedures, for dispensaries, cultivation, and manufacturing facilities in California, Illinois, Massachusetts, Missouri, New Jersey, and Utah. In the hemp industry, Sean assists clients to obtain hemp licenses and maintain compliance with federal and state regulations. Sean, welcome to the show. I think the coolest thing is that I've never had really an attorney with all, I guess I could say your background in regulatory stuff with all the cannabis and everything else. And a lot of people ask some questions, they go online, they get bad information and stuff. So I'm glad you're on the show, but you didn't start out being an attorney and say, Hey, listen, did you start, or maybe you did. Did you start out saying, Hey, I'm going to be a cannabis attorney when you decided to go to school? Well, how'd you get started in, in the industry? Well, thanks Gary for having me on first of all. And, uh, no, I didn't come to law school thinking that I was going to be a cannabis attorney. So when I started uh, law school, I thought I was going to go into real estate, actually. Um, during my undergrad at the University of Central Florida, I did a couple of internships in commercial real estate. Uh, the first one was for a, a, a brokerage group that um, bought and sold uh, grocery anchored shopping centers. So it's a unique part of the, the commercial market. And then the second job was with a real estate investment fund that invested in mobile home parks. So again, it was another unique part of, of the industry. So I came to law school thinking that I was wanted to do real estate development because I really like the mixed use uh, real estate, you know, the retail and bottom and, and living up top. I really like that concept. Which is, um, which, is, which is really starting to grow in South Florida because yeah, there's nowhere to grow outward. We really can go upward. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I came to law school thinking I wanted to do that. And everybody who came in when we were doing our introductory things said they wanted to do real estate. And it's like literally every single person that, that I talked to. And so, I mean, I love competition, but I did not want to compete against like every single person <laughs> I was going to school with. So I'm like, all right, I wanted to, you know, figure out what else I wanted to do. So my roommate and I actually founded the White Collar Crime Society at our school. And I thought that that's what I was going to do is something like white collar criminal defense or something like that. And so 
that's the route I was going on. We had our internships lined up at the uh, state attorney's office in Broward County. He ended up doing it, but like a week, um, probably a month before we were supposed to start, I got a, uh, I saw a post for um, a position for a cannabis writer. And I'm like, might as well apply for it. Sounds a little bit more interesting in the state attorney's office. So I applied for <laughs> it, got it. And what the company was, it's called Cannabis Business Growth. It's, it's located out of Boca Raton, <clears throat> Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, so what she does is um, the marijuana applications. So marijuana state license applications. So um, I spent several months doing several applications in like Utah, California, um, Missouri, New Jersey, and a, and a bunch of other states. So that's how I got into the industry. Um, it, it was a non-legal job. And then several months later, I connected with my boss, Dustin Robinson, who is the, the founding partner of Mr. Cannabis Law. Um, and so I, I joined his team shortly thereafter. That's cool. That, that, that's cool because he, he, I keep telling everybody else, Florida's a little stricter with the cannabis getting their licenses than actually all the other states. Am I correct? Because I know Florida has a huge... You're going to jump through a lot of hoops in Florida before you can actually open a cannabis plant, a cannabis facility in Florida, correct? Yeah, so, so Florida is a very interesting state. Um, it, the requirement is that it, it's vertically integrated, which means that every licensee has to conduct every single step of the supply chain. So they have to grow. They have to create the product if you're creating an edible or any sort of vaporizer cartridge. They have to sell it and they deliver it. Um, and on top of that, there's only 22 licenses right now and no more being awarded right now. There's actually um, a development this week that they will be releasing some, some licenses relatively shortly, but as of right now, there's only 22 licenses and that's it. Um, so to get into the market, you have to buy a license. And Florida is not cheap compared, I think the last two in, in January, at the end of the year, they sold, I think one, one sold for 54 million and the other one sold for 48 million. It's yeah, that's, cheap it, in Florida. It's right in that ballpark. Yeah, the, the license is worth that much. And again, because you, you, you have to do every single step of the process, right? So it, so it takes a multi-state operator with, with lots of capital behind them and, and, and to put in to the investment to, to, to build out the, you know, that framework it costs a lot of money. And on top of that, the license allows you to have unlimited number of retail stores. So in most states, um, you need one license for one retail store. Um, but in, in Florida, you can have as, as many as you want. So that right. one license um, can get you, you know, as many re, uh, dispensaries as, as you can afford. And, and if I'm not wrong, I may be wrong, but if I if I read correctly, I think Florida just passed legislation that other growers from other states cannot come into Florida as of yet. They want to remain. They want the license to be in Florida. Is that correct, or did I read that wrong? That I don't know of. Um, basically, I mean, any any company that that any any company that's operating in any state, um, you have to grow, create your product, and sell the product in the state. There is no interstate sales okay. or, or transfer of marijuana. Um, but we do have companies down here <clears throat> that have licensed, you know, with companies outside of the state. And those, those, those people have come in to, to help with, uh, you know, with cultivation, production, stuff like that. Um, but that's allowed, again, because they're in the state and just keeping the product inside of the state. Okay. That, 
Thank you. Thank you for that, clarifi- for that clarification. Now on, on to hemp, which is, which is pretty interesting because Florida, again, is a little bit above and beyond every other state that's out there. They're kind of like leading the way in the hemp, the way they're actually making everything work with hemp. What's the difference between Florida and most states that you see? Um, Florida, I think, is, is very open to hemp. Um, they want to see hemp succeed, I think, in comparison to a lot of other states. So, so the best example of this is there's, there's been a huge increase in demand for, for Delta-8 THC, which I'll just do a little bit of background in case, in case your Perfect. listeners don't know. Um, Delta-8 THC is, is another cannabinoid that is found in the cannabis plant. The cannabis plant has over 100 different types of cannabinoids. And so what a lot of producers are doing is they're taking hemp-derived CBD, which test below 0.3% Delta-9 THC um, and going through an isomerization process. Sorry, chemistry is not my thing, uh, <laughs> which basically uh, which basically converts the, the CBD into um, Delta-8 THC, which was already naturally found in that cannabis plant. And the Delta-8 THC um, contains less than 0.3% Delta-9 THC, so it's federally legal under the 2018 Farm Bill. That's why it's gaining so much traction. And it has about two thirds of the psychoactive potency of Delta 9 THC. So it's, it's basically a, a legal way to, to get high. And right, so right. how this relates to Florida is a lot of states, because of that, are starting to ban Delta 8 THC um, because, again, it is a legal way to get high. But um, Florida has already come out and said, as long as the hemp product has less than 0.3% total THC, which is basically defined as Delta-9 THC, then the, then the product is, is legal and will not be removed from the shelves. Which is, which is great because I have, I have my company create some Delta-8 products and it's been beneficial for uh, surprisingly to me, to a lot of older people to help them sleep and actually recover faster. Because that's what Delta 8 basically is. It's a higher analgesic and it's also a great sleep aid. So it kind of helps that if once you find the right dosage, again, you can, it, the, the biggest thing about Delta 8 and THC is dosage wise, because you're, you're just, you're just not going to go out and eat a whole chocolate bar of it because, you know, it's not going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> start, start really slow. But is there, do you see, how, do, how can I say it? Do you see it having issues with the marijuana industry in Florida? Because I keep reading around that a lot of the cultivators are getting scared because everybody's doing Delta 8. Or is Florida pretty good because they're, they like both I, parts of the plant? Yeah, I think, I think Florida and I think a lot of states, you're going to see the division of both. Um, you have the people who, who really like their, their marijuana products. And especially in Florida, you have to, obviously it's a medical state, so you have to go get your license. So, so anyone who's really desiring to go get marijuana will go through those steps, you know, to get their medical license. Um, but a lot of people do like Delta 8 THC, the fact that they don't have to get a medical license to, you know, take medicine that works for them. And, um, a lot of people, I'm sure you've heard this too, that they actually prefer Delta 8 THC to Delta 9 because it's a little less anxious to some people. So I think there's always going to be the, the separation of both, the demand for both. Um, but my personal opinion, I think marijuana will always be a little bit more popular, more in demand. But I do think there's always going to be some sort of market for a Delta 8 THC because so many people um, 
are already love it and already prefer, or some people already prefer it to Delta 9 THC and marijuana products. Right. With your ear to the ground, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you see Florida ever making it uh, recreational or adult use, or are they like it the way it's being go- run right now? Well, it, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> the people, the people of Florida, definitely want to see adult use um, in Florida, but the the legislation sees it another way. I thought that we were going to have, you know, at, at least one of the ballot initiatives on for the 2022 election, but um, recently. Um, both of them, there were two of them, uh, Make It Legal Florida and uh, Sensible, were both uh, deemed, uh, what's it called, misleading because it, the both ballot initiatives didn't contain the fact that if the law went into effect, that marijuana would remain a Schedule One controlled substance under federal law. And that was the same problem that uh, South Dakota ran into with their ballot initiative that voters passed back in November. So... Because of that, um, the the ballot, the, the signature collecting process has to start completely over. And so basically the, there, there's not really a shot to see it for the 2022 election. So hopefully we'll see it for the 2024 election uh, coming up. But, but as far as the legislature goes, um, there's plenty of bills for adult use, um, for an adult use market in Florida, but none of them advanced last session. The only marijuana bill that did advance was um, House Bill 1455, which was to place uh, a limit, uh, a THC cap on medical marijuana products, which I actually spoke against a couple of times. Uh, But that seems to be the only uh, legislation that's progressing. So it's going to have to be up to the to the people to have to, to, to collect enough ballot signatures to to get the initiative on the ballot for 2024. Yes. So, so those who are listening don't, don't don't understand what he just said. Basically, they're putting a cap for those who have the medical license to go buy an amount of medical marijuana they want. The problem with that is that, <clears throat> excuse me, some people need the higher amount than what they're actually allowing to get, which causes a little bit a little bit of issue if you have some medical problems that you deem necessary. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. I mean, so the cap was to put um, smokable flour at ten percent THC cap. And basically everything else, so your, your vaporizer cartridges and stuff like that at a 60% um, cap. And so, I mean, I don't know. I use smokable marijuana and most of the stuff that I use is between 15 and 25%. So uh, pushing someone down below 10%, first of all, forces cultivators to mess with their genetics to, to make a less potent and less desirable product. And, and two, it takes away the medicinal benefits that many people are getting. My mom actually works at a, a dispensary in Fort Pierce, and she's telling me about some of the clients that come in. And a lot of these clients need really high THC products, such as um, you know concentrates and and RSOs and stuff like that that have higher percentage of THC. And these aren't just people looking to get high; these are older people, and these are people who have had traumas and 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 stuff like that. And they just need a higher THC because they've been using this medicine for so long, but it works for them and it helps them. And so the THC product, the THC caps on, uh, on these products is, is going to be detrimental to this market and to, and to patient and to the over 500,000 patients across Florida. Not, not only the patients, but it's also going to be detrimental to what the, I think what the state of Florida is trying to do, because what that ends up, it ends up pushing the illegal growers 
to grow. And now these patients don't know, have to go to them maybe and don't know what they're getting. And now we have this battle of like, see, it never was never good in the first place. And it just causes big headaches, I see. Absolutely. It's my own personal opinion, but I'm not allowed to use the stuff as a firefighter. So, but I, I want to get into that. He, he, here's the thing that I'm trying to do. And one of the main reasons I got the podcast was basically to educate basically my higher up or administration or my cities that, that I talk with is that we're not looking to use basically cannabis as a get high substance or remove the drug testing. We want to have the ability to use the lower THC, higher CBD that allows us basically to sleep, make us a couple pain stuff, and maybe even the Delta 8 that's legal under, under state law. But if we get popped using that stuff, basically we're screwed and they'll call it basically lose our, our job or our, our, our complete retirement. Do we see anything in a state legislation that we can cover that? Because I do know that though doing my research, I have created my own policy that it's all about funding for fire departments and everything else. They're worried about losing their grant funding or their workman's compensation, but yet they already have a drug policy in place according to the 1988 drug law, which basically states they have to have a policy in place for schedule one through five drugs, which they have right now. I don't understand why they just can't slip the cannabis in there with the opioids or, or, or the, the Xanax and everything else that's already there. Yeah, I have no idea. Your thoughts on that one? <laughs> I, have, I, I have no idea about that one. Um, my knowledge. Do you see anything? Because I know that in the state legislature, they just had two bills allowing public employees to actually use, uh, I think, cannabis or THC. Uh, and that didn't pass, of course. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, do you see anything coming in where they're going to allow state employees, allow, allow them to use at least the, the low dosage or anything? Do you see anything happening? I mean, I can you protect I, me if I, I get popped? Yeah, I haven't personally <laughs> seen any legislation about, uh, you know, about any sort of changes. But I know there is obviously a, a lot of support in, you know, the law enforcement community and any sort of any sort of, you know, first responders or any sort of governmental um, any sort of governmental jobs. Because as you know, any sort any sort of governmental employee is subject to a drug test, and so if if you're using a hemp derived CBD, um, who knows somehow some way THC could appear in that drug test, and the the people who are conducting the drug tests are in no position to determine where that THC or CBD came from. So you can be taking a federally um, legal product and potentially still fail your drug test, especially with a Delta 8 THC product. If you take Delta 8 THC product, you're almost guaranteed to fail your, your drug test, uh, depending on how close to the drug test that you take it, because that will appear as, as THC to the, um, to the drug testing company. And again, they're not in a position to say that THC is from Delta 8, which is federal, you know, which is federally legal. They're just going to see uh, THC and either deny you or depending on when you, you have that test, you know, face sanctions or, or get fired. Right. So, yeah. so here's a, go ahead. But I was just saying, yeah, there, I haven't seen any legislation to change that, but I do know there is a ton of support for it. And that is something we're going to be working towards. Well, that's, that's the biggest thing. That's the next thing for my, like my next question for you. And this is a key. And I wanted to ask you about, so education on what products to take, how to take them and where to find them is key to letting most, especially those in government issues who get, or any job that gets uh, drug tested. That's the biggest key. What do you think about education? Is that, is that the key to actually changing everybody's mind nowadays? Absolutely. Ed education is the absolute key. Well, what I've noticed being in this industry for a couple of years now is that 
the the people who are not in this industry full time, there's such a huge knowledge gap. Most people in society have such a limited knowledge of cannabis. A lot of the people, a lot of people can't even differentiate between marijuana and hemp. A lot of a lot of people uh, just don't have an understanding, especially on the governmental level. So I, I think um, getting in the ears of every single policymaker, whether it's a legislator, even on the executive level, just just the heads of every single governmental branch. I think just the more support and and the more you know support they hear from the public, that's how we're going to make these changes. Why why do you feel everybody's so afraid of cannabis? So why is it so? The big, I know it's a stigma still, but why do you think it's everybody just as soon as they hear the word? And I know people are changing the word from marijuana to cannabis because as soon as they hear marijuana, everybody goes, Oh my god, and they start freaking out. But if we say cannabis, it's not that ex- they don't get that excited. Mm-hmm. So, why is it? Uh, yeah, I think I think the stigma is that I mean, you still have the lazy stoner stigma, you know, the you know, as soon as you take it, you're going to be lazy, you're going to be unproductive or that people are going to take it and, and drive around and create a more dangerous society. I think it all revolves around the fact that Delta 9 is sort of a psychoactive stimulant in a sense. So, so I mean, it's not that people shouldn't be concerned about it. It's that, you know, as you and I know, people who use cannabis usually use it responsibly, just like people would use, you know, alcohol, for example. And so... I think, you know, there's been this long-standing history with alcohol and there's already this, this sort of acceptance with it, but, but, but cannabis is relatively new, even though it's been in our, our existence for thousands of years. And even in the United States history up until, you know, the fifties and when it was officially outlawed in the seventies, but, um, you know, it, it's starting to make a comeback. It's starting to become, you know, more mainstream in society, especially as we see, you know, hemp derived CBD products more accepted. I think we're going to see a lot more acceptance, especially as we have a, you know, a multi-billion dollar national industry that, you know, eventually you can't ignore. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's, that's, I agree with you 100%. The other interesting thing I wanted to ask you, and I saw this, I saw this on your bio and stuff is that the cannabis and hemp is kind of, I see it as a opening the door to other plant-based medicine, like psychedelics. And a lot of people don't, don't, know about all that stuff and the research that's going on that for PTSD, concussion, everything else. But you've done a little bit of stuff in the legal aspect with that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so what we've done at Mr. Cannabis Law is we drafted uh, House Bill 549, which is the first legalization bill for, for psilocybin and other entheogenic plants in Florida. Um, so it would create a legal market to um, produce psilocybin products um, have them administered at a at a at a research or at a uh, at a medical center um, with trained professionals, and everything would be um, you know very regulated. But on a, on a broader note, um, Oregon's the only state that has successfully you know passed legislation to create a, a legalization market, um, and then Washington D.C. Uh, decriminalized um, psilocybin as well. And these, these psychedelic substances are going, in contrast to the cannabis, are going through the FDA process. So they're basically going through as if it was um, a pharmaceutical drug. So the obvious ketamine is, is already a, a past drug. It's a Schedule Three controlled substances. So 
you see ketamine clinics popping up every now and then, <clears throat> and they're 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 technically federally legal. They're used uh, ketamine is used for for very limited purposes, and they've they've shown promises for for treating um, addiction and other sorts of traumas. Um, another one that that the one that's gained the most traction, or I mean, past that that's in phase three is MDMA, which is also known as ecstasy, um, and, and that's that's shown. Um, that it helps with PTSD and treatment resistant depression and, and all and all those sorts of things. So again, that's in phase three development, which is the the sort of the last phase to um, becoming a uh, uh, an accepted substance under under the FDA. So um, soon we're going to see uh, uh, medical centers offering MDMA treatments. And then that, obviously that's... another um, exciting substance that that I'm very passionate about and a lot of people are is psilocybin and that's in uh, phase two development. So that, I mean, right behind phase three. So we still have a, you know, a couple years of, of, of studies left on that, but um, it's actually received a breakthrough designation, which means that the FDA um, is acknowledging the fact that psilocybin is treating um, a major depressive, major depressive disorder uh, greater than a lot of other uh, substances for that treatment. So it's actually being uh, fast-tracked right now to receiving approval. And then we have LSD, which is in phase two, um, DMT, which is in phase one, and then uh, mescaline and ayahuasca are also in phase one, and um, the combination of MDMA and LSD also known as candy flipping, is in, is in phase one. And again, these are all for, for treating, um, you know, PTSD, trauma, anxiety, and addiction. And a lot of them are showing real, real promise. Yeah, I started researching of it. Um, my daughter died of an opiate overdose on her 27th birthday, unfortunately. And I started, oh, that's why so I got into the old, yeah, thank you. That's how I got into the cannabis and CBD research in the first place. As soon as she passed, I went, okay, let's figure out how we can help firefighters and other addictions. And I started slowly realizing that, you know, all these other stuff, these psilocybins and other stuff can actually help be beneficial too. But I never knew that they were actually going through an FDA process to actually get research. And we actually created a nonprofit called promisesrecovery.com. And we're talking with an organization actually in Canada and in, in South Florida to actually build a rehab facility and research facility in the same complex. So actually use, so we could use all plant medicine on what you just said, depression, PTSD and addiction. So That's incredible. It, it, I'm just, I'm amazed at when you tell people this, he goes, yeah, he goes, well, you know, I'm thinking about using LSD in, a, in this addiction process. Yeah, and I'm right. like, what? <laughs> no, it's FDA. It's going to be FDA approved. <laughs> no, it ain't. I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. You got to check it out. And, and these people's eyes just look, think you're crazy. Uh -huh. And then you tell them it's, it's going through an FDA process and they can't believe it. Yeah. So that that's that's fabulous to hear. And what's kind of funny, too, is like in a weird sort of way. LSD and MDMA and psilocybin are all kind of more legitimate in the eyes of, of the federal government than cannabis, even though there's <laughs> obviously a $25 billion, you know, plus marijuana market and however much in, in hemp. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of totally flip-flopped. It's funny because I talked to a rugby player out in, the, in Canada, an international rugby player, and he's actually looking at creating a pre-workout with LSD. And I'm like, you serious? He's like, yeah, it's like one of the best pre-workouts. And I'm like, that's incredible. I'm like, 
<laughs> I'm like, that is just completely blown my mind. So yeah, that's pretty funny. If you like, I ask a lot of people this every once, your younger self, if you could give yourself advice or what would you say when you first started or what would you tell yourself? <laughs> I would, I would say that you can't plan, right? Cause like, like I said, I mean, obviously how I started the show, obviously I didn't plan to get into cannabis law. I've always been, I've always been a planner. You know, when I was younger, I was going to be a stockbroker, uh, that I was going to go into real estate law, I was going to do this and that, but like, you can't plan. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very religious person. I'm a Christian guy. And so I think God, if you trust in God, he will lead you exactly to, to where you need to go. And so that's exactly what, what I would tell my younger self, trust in the process. Well said, well said. If people needed to reach out to you and, and so in case they needed anything to actually file paperwork to get licensing or anything else, how could they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our website is Mr. Cannabis Law across all of our socials. It's Mr. Cannabis Law. It's kind of hard not to find us. Our nonprofit is Mr. Psychedelic Law. And then my boss, uh, Dustin, our founding partner, uh, he started Eater Investments. So if anyone's invested in or interested in investing in early stage psychedelic companies, um, you know, he does that. And so to get in contact with me, my email is shardwick at mrcannabislaw.com. And again, you can just go to our website, mrcannabislaw.com, and you can easily get in contact with any of us there. Perfect. I'm going to drop all those in the show notes. So this way, at least they have it and this, they know they don't have to try and remember it. They yeah, can actually just look at it, click on it and send you something. <laughs> Sean, I appreciate you coming on my show. Fabulous. I got a lot of questions I want to answer. I hope the audience got some questions, some good answers and questions out of it too. And I will let you go and enjoy your weekend. And we'll, uh, I'll definitely talk soon because I'm more interested in the, in the, uh, the uh, philosophy and stuff and everything else. So definitely keep in touch with that. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on Gary and thank you for all that you've done and, and, and bring awareness to this plant and, and trying to educate, you know, especially law, uh, firefighters and the public at large. Thank you for, for what you've done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sean, have a great day, my friend. All right, you as well. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show. And like I said at the beginning of the show, I'll have some links for you. So if you're interested in starting your podcast yourself, one of the best places to go is Podcast Powertrain. Right now, they're doing an, an amazing offer for all their course material. If you want to actually help get your uh, show ranked, all you got to do is go to gooddudesgrow.com forward slash powertrain and you'll get all the information there. Also, if you're looking for a platform, not sure which platform to use to record your show on, Riverside FM is the one we use. You can also go to gooddudesgrow.com forward slash Riverside, check them out and you will not be disappointed. Again, thank you for all listening to the show and we will see you. Well, we'll see you, but we'll get with you next week. You guys have a great week. If you're still listening to this, that means you gained some type of value. So what we need you to do is leave a review and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode of The Good Dudes Grow.